0: too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy30.
1: It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman.
0: Welcome into the Take Command Podcast. I am Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And we have a phenomenal, I dare say, Hall of Fame level guest today. Uh, London <laughs> Fletcher is going to join us a little bit later in the show. Of course, London just named one of the semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, we actually just got done taping that interview. Uh, we had a little technology snafu in the middle of it, admittedly. Uh, so Logan Logan there, might let's magically let's be
1: I had I had a technology issue. I, I still don't know what to do. I the was trying to was. be a team player.
0: I'm I'm the quarterback at the podium after being like, hey, this is our fault. <laughs> yeah, it was your it was clearly your internet's fault, but we can save that for the team meeting. It, it behind closed doors. Nobody needs to know about that. Right, uh, but right. but but Logan Logan's Internet did have a bit of a whoopsie. And thus uh, he he will disappear in the middle of that interview. If you're watching on YouTube, it's going to go from a three shot to a two shot just <laughs> magically. There's going to be a, an editing point where Logan just whoops, goodbye. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. London was great, uh, and we still have a full game preview for you, uh, Commanders and Falcons coming up this weekend. So with that, Logan, let's dive right in. Uh, Atlanta has one of the most. I, I don't know. I felt weird saying this when I when I brought this up to London as well, but like they have one of the most unique offenses in the NFL, except for they actually don't because it's similar in some ways to what this team does. It's similar to what Chicago does in some ways, like. All of a sudden, running the football is in vogue again. Running quarterbacks are having a huge impact in New York with Daniel Jones, etc. Um, like, so, you know, Philadelphia with, with Jalen. Like, how unique is what Atlanta does, especially compared to what some of Washington has already seen this year? And what challenges do they present with Mariota, etc.?
1: So that's the thing, man. Like, everyone's kind of making these comparisons. Oh, just in fields, Mary, uh, you know, uh, Hurts. Daniel Jones, all these different teams that are using running quarterbacks. And when you flip on the tape to watch uh, the Atlanta Falcons, they don't actually run the quarterback that much. I know the last game against the Bears, I think he had 12 carries, but usually he's kind of in the range between five and seven carries. It's not like a huge part of their offense. And then you go back and you say, okay, well, how many actual touches does he get in a game? You're looking at like 76 for the season, right? Which compared to Justin Fields is like. Justin Fields is like 140, 150, something like that. So they, this team has the most designed touches in the run game for running backs in the NFL. They are a team that actually calls runs more than any other team in the NFL. So if it says, oh, well, the, the Chicago Bears have a higher running percentage, well, that, that, that doesn't account for scrambles, right, which are called pass plays that become runs, right? right? So in terms of teams, a team that says we know who we are so acutely We know what the strength of this team is so acutely we are going to run the ball at you with outside zone, some gap scheme with like kind of duo concepts. But we are an outside zone football team and we are excellent in the front. Like this is maybe I don't want to get over like I don't want to get hyperbolic here, but probably the best run blocking front this team has faced all year. So, like, you know, everyone says Philadelphia's offensive line is better, and it is better, but they do more stuff. They pass protect, they run the RPO, they do a whole bunch of different stuff, and that group elevates elevates that game plan. This is just a bunch of kind of nasty hog mollies, right, that are going to, like, get after <laughs> you, and they've got a whole bunch of blocking tight ends, they've got an excellent fullback, and they've got three running backs who are built like fire hydrants and do not mess around when they run the ball. Obviously, uh cordell patterson is the exception to that because he's like this tall angular guy but he weighs 325 330 pounds and he runs a four three right he's a big dude hold on you
0: said 330 you mean no 200. yeah 200,
1: 225 that would price. be something. that would be talk something about a special to that's Gosh. that's uh that's like a dumpster coming at you yeah but then you got algiers who is again like he's like five eleven, but like 230 so <laughs> And very explosive. And then they've got the other guy, the backup, who's 5'10", 225. So they're all kind of this outside of Patterson, like this kind of bulky downhill back that's excellent for the outside zone. Their offensive line is a whole bunch of former first-round draft picks, which is not what you think of when you think of Atlanta. But they've got Chris Lindstrom at right guard. They've got Kayla McGarry at right guard. Their left guard, who was a first-round draft pick last year, is hurt at the moment, but may or may not return for this game. And then, obviously, Jake, uh, Jake Matthews, who's probably a top 10 left tackle in the NFL. So think about that investment in terms of that group. And they are playing that way. So when I say this is going to be a very daunting challenge for the um, commander's front. Like I'm not being, I'm not exaggerating that. This is going to be very unique in terms of what they do. Their, their tight ends are their two blocking tight ends, almost have more snaps than Kyle Pitts. just to give you some context of who they want to be and what they want to do. Their fullback plays a ton and he is nasty. So it's, it's just a, like, it's like they said, we are going to swing this. This is like the Stanford of the NFL. You know, when Stanford was like, we're just going to run power and everyone's going to the spread offense this is what they're yeah, doing. They're like,
0: like, we have a fullback every snap. Yeah, we're gonna I swing. This,
1: we're gonna swing this back hard the other way. And then obviously Marcus Mariota does run the football, but in terms of design run, it's nothing it's nothing crazy. It's pretty much like I'm running a zone read and we're gonna bring a fullback or a tight end back and he's gonna be the lead blocker. It's not like this crazy Philadelphia thing where it's like we've got routes, we've got pullers, we've got all this stuff going on. It's it's like, no, dude. You know, like uh, I had a special teams coach named Ben Kodwika and his favorite expression was no fair dodging and i didn't really understand what it meant craig do you know what it means do you get what it means
0: no i covered that for a couple years and i'd never heard that phrase and now i'm upset
1: so the thing i think what he was saying is like you ever been in like a game and you're playing a really with a really big kid and he goes to like get after you and then you move out of the way and he says no fair dodging like because like i like i want to use my skill set like that's what this team is they are a no fair dodging team they want this (laughs) in a phone booth they want to be nasty they want to bloody your nose And quite frankly, they averaged 4.9 yards a carry. And they, you know what I mean? Like they, everyone in the world knows what they want to do. Like it was so crazy watching the Carolina game, the second Carolina game this year, because they literally had, so they had a Atlanta had a six man blocking surface. So five offensive linemen and a tight end. Carolina had eight people in the box which you don't see in today's NFL. Like, they couldn't have found more ways to get people in the box. They had two, you know what I mean? It was just, I was just like, what is happening? And that's how they played the whole game, and that's how they won the game. So in terms of things that need to be done in this game, more than any other game they've played this year, it stopped the frickin' run. Like, they have to be able to do that.
0: Well, right, because if you stop the run, they're not going to pass, but only so <laughs> many times. So if you stop the run, you stopped their offense. Here's the, the positive sign for Washington is, they're great at stopping the run. In fact, you, they can make an argument that since week three, they've been the best team in the league stopping the run. Uh, they lead the NFL in yards per game in general since uh, week three. They also lead the NFL still. I mentioned this stat a bunch last week, but they lead the NFL in yards before contact. Uh, They're like running backs on average are only getting, Uh, about a six or 0.6 yards uh, past the line of scrimmage before there is contact Deron Payne and John Allen are one and two respectively in the NFL in defensive tackles, tackles for loss 14 for Allen 14. It's played 11 games. He's having more than one tackle for loss per game, and Deron Payne is also averaging one per game at 11. Like, they are so good, or have been so good. So when you start to look at the actual schematics of it, though, and how Washington has stopped the run versus how Atlanta wants to run it, concern, feel good about it, somewhere in the middle?
1: So, yeah, I – so if they just came out and played the 10 tenet played Atlanta the way they played Tennessee, right? Because it's essentially the same offense. There's a little bit more zone read with Atlanta, but Arthur Smith was the coordinator there in Tennessee. They've kept that same approach outside zone first, outside zone second, and then run your play action pass off of it, right? Right. Atlanta is very similar to that like so similar they run the ball more obviously but the philosophy is the same and in the Tennessee game I went back and watched Jack seemed very comfortable playing light boxes so versus a six man blocking service you play six defenders so there's no one for the back you're asking a safety to come from a coverage position and make the tackle which we've talked about before. That worked fine because if you think about it, they have a rookie right tackle. They had a backup left tackle. Their right guard was injured. And obviously, John and Payne just kind of said, you know, we're going to be a dominant force here and wreck this game. Atlanta is a little different to me, right? And what I will say is their edge players are much, much better. Their left tackle, I mentioned Jake Matthews, is probably, I don't know, one of the best in the NFL. I'd say definitely top 10, you know, if we're being safe and if we're being kind of, you know, very positive towards Jake, he's probably like six or seven which is pretty good right that's just yeah
0: it just means he's playing at a really high level at all times
1: correct and then caleb mcgarry is a guy that i thought was gonna be out of the league and then within this new run first system he's really found his home right so he's six seven i think when i played with him in atlanta he was 345 pounds and can move pretty good for a man of that size he embraces the physical violence of football and obviously running outside zone with those types of edge players is different than running it with Tennessee. Right. And so what I mean by that is. Yeah. By the way, know, gonna, McGarry
0: listed now at 306. So he's, right. he's shed some weight, become more mobile, and and that's probably so also helped his career. I think
1: he's listed at 306, but I think he's one of those guys that's like his <laughs> college weight. You know what I mean? That they just kept on yeah. that sheet. But he, anyway, <laughs> okay. large, large human, yeah. violent man. Right. And so one of the things that sticks out to me is when he has to set an edge, when it, when like, so outside zone is predicated on stretching the defense horizontally right and if you have good tackles you can really do that nicely right because you can widen those edges and montez sweats maybe the best edge setter in the nfl but these dudes and, and 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 atlanta they understand it's important to stretch it right so what they do which is a little bit unique is they take their guards like chris lindstrom who's very very fast and athletic kind of your classic outside zone guard the tackle will butt up the end and then the guard will come and just smoke the hip which will launch that edge player out and create a huge cavernous void. That is really challenging because they're asking their center to reach a defensive tackle, which is very, very hard, but because they're creating so much horizontal width in the defense, it doesn't really matter. So if I'm Jack, I look at that and I say, well, let's negate that thing that they do really well. Let's put John Ridgeway directly over that center and let's put, Payne and Allen over the guards so the guards cannot help on the perimeter they can't get out there because if they can't get out there I, t- I you know McGarry's a big man but he's got really short arms Jake is very good but he's got really short arms also you know what Montez Sweat does not have his short arms right <laughs> James right. Williams does not have short arms and those guys with long arms can really set a violent edge and if you can set a violent edge you can box these runs and negate the thing that they do really well so I would expect on first second down To see a lot of Big John Ridgeway at at nose, which bumps those two guys to three techniques and negates this ability to kind of widen the edge with the guard. And then I expect Cam Crow to be in the box, because unlike Tennessee, where Tannehill, I think, is a top 15, maybe, quarterback in the NFL and can kind of kill you throwing the football, Mariota is not that. Mariota is probably... I'd say between 30 and 25 in terms of ranking, and that's being very generous towards him. Like, you do not have to fear him the same way. Also, removing Kyle Pitts from the lineup, he was their kind of number one target the last five weeks. Obviously, Drake Lennon's a very good football player and will get a lot of those targets, but they they lose kind of this dynamic thing in their offense. So they're going to become even more restricted from a pass game standpoint.
0: Well, and he also would have probably gotten Cam Curl's attention. Uh, as, as so. a yeah. coverage guy. So from a man to man standpoint, in those situations, you probably feel better leaving whether it's McCain, Forrest, uh, you know, whoever on yeah. that backup tight end versus like, no, we need to get Cam Curl and letting Cam Curl roam and do Cam Curl things. So right. you know, there there's a little bit less intensity on that matchup. Obviously sure. they'll still play predominantly zone, I'm guessing, but you know, we'll we'll see obviously how they they match it up. Anything else scare you about this offense? Like, is there a big playoff play action that they've hit multiple times this year that they that this defense needs to be aware of? And um, also, like, I don't know what Benjamin St. Juice status is as we record this Friday morning. Like, we should get an injury report soon, but not before we're done recording. So, there's a chance St. Juice is out because he did not practice on Wednesday. So, like, how big of a loss would that be, um, considering how well he's played this year with this matchup?
1: It's interesting because I'd say it would be a huge loss because you need a guy in a matchup with Drake London if Kyle Pitts is healthy. Because Kyle Pitts is, when he was healthy, it just it was cool to watch, man. Because you could line, you could get in thirteen personnel and essentially be in twelve. And then they have another guy on the roster named Felipe Franks, who's a converted quarterback, who's a big kind of angular receiving type guy. So they'd be in 13 personnel, then explode to empty and basically be in a very, very scary 13 package. I don't know if Felipe Franks is going to be healthy. Obviously, Kyle Pitts is not going to be healthy. And so now you're just down to basically one dynamic receiving weapon in Drake London. This does bring up an interesting question. Do you move Cordell Patterson to receiver? You know, kind of as a way to off off offset the lack of playmakers at the position, um, and he did hurt this team last year on some deep play action shots. You know, kind of over the head of the defense. Um, something to th- I don't think they'll do that, but that's something to consider. And so, the fact that they're kind of their their number one position of value tight end is depleted at the moment, um, I think bodes well in terms of saying we can find a way to take away Drake London from a coverage standpoint. You mentioned play action concepts that are uh detrimental like they're excellent at running drift they're they're really fantastic at that um and you know they Kyle Pitts was good enough to kind of make stuff happen after the catch Drake London's good enough to make stuff happen after the catch but he's not Mariota's not a not super proficient at throwing the ball deep so again they're they're somewhat limited it's like we got to run the football or else and they're very very good at it so there's no there's no tricks in this game there's no game plan nuance it's like our is our front going to be more physical than their front and their front is a different type of physical than this team has seen so far this year so you know put your mouthpiece in tape your wrists up because if you can keep them if you can get them into the second third and eight type of situations like Mariota holds the football for a long time and you can create a lot of pressure their O lines playing well the running backs are playing well um but they've lost some of their offensive firepower and I think that's going to be really um Detrimental, but it is also an interesting group in terms of roster construction and development because they're pretty dang close to being a good football team and they are, you know, money strapped and all those types of things. So, uh, very good job by Arthur Smith in Atlanta. But in terms of game planning for this offense, like, there is one objective and that's stopping the run.
0: Last question I would have as I try to do my best uh, radio defensive coordinator uh, guessing game job yeah. thing that I'm doing here. Like, Jack has been up and down with blitz levels this year, Um, depending on the matchup, depending on what he thinks is best uh, as he should. That's his job is to figure out those things. Would you expect a heavier blitz package, almost like a run blitz package though, where you are firing down with an intention of stopping the run? uh, And it's kind of that, you know, stop the run on the way to the quarterback type of deal where if they do pass it, you don't think that there's a huge, discrepancy or you don't think that there's a huge like big play potential discrepancy in talent from your corners you're you back uh four back five back six and their receivers that they're going to kill you and you can afford to put those extra resources forward in an aggressive way
1: yeah I mean I would say if you didn't have John and um Pain, yes, I would do that, 100%. But I think when you have those guys and when you have a guy like Ridgeway, when you have edge setters like Montez, and, you know, James is excellent in this category, F.A. is excellent in this category, even Casey brings some uh, ability here. Like having th- that group up front keeps you out of a lot of – it helps you manage your risk, risk a lot better, right? And then also I think, um, you know, a guy like Jamin who's playing much, much better, um, you know, Cam who's been playing great, I expect them to be kind of in the box so it'll be – you know the cinco package jamin and then cam in the box right and i think that front and the way that they've been playing you know because technically that is a pressure you know as, as much as it seems like they're just playing a base front like they are that, that, that technically is a dog look so what i mean by that is they're going to be blitzing you ideally you'd be rushing four players and that look you're rushing five right because it's your cinco package right right so um that, that is the pressure that I would bring. And I would think there's probably going to be some wrinkles, but when you look at how this team has defeated the run the past couple of weeks, it's really been, we're going to play straight up our, when we get those five guys out on the field, whatever combination they are with John and with um, Duran out there, they tend to be way more disruptive than teams can handle and they can be minus one from a run game standpoint. Um, and so I, th- I would expect to see a lot of that. And I'd expect to see that, um, almost for the entire game. And it'll be interesting to see what Atlanta's response is. Cause if I'm Atlanta, I'm doing everything in my power to keep that personnel off the field as much as I can. Right. Because, you know, I expect to see them get to 11 quite a bit um, and see if, uh, and see if that we would match the way we match Tennessee, which would give us, which would give them plus numbers of the run game. So that's kind of the chess match here is how do you keep them out of maybe their best run stopping personnel grouping in the Cinco packages. And um, if you're Atlanta, And then what is your response to that? So maybe if they're in 11, I might think about doing some run blitzes like you're talking about. But uh, if you look at how this team has been over the last five, six weeks, it's been like we're better than you, and no one so far has been able to be better than this defensive front.
0: Yeah. um, It's also interesting, though, because if you are Washington, do you look at that as a win? Because you're like, all right, fine. Go to 11 take your fullback off the field take your your heavy tight end sets off the field like you're now at a disadvantage of where you want to be and and we still feel like we can stop the run in in this personnel grouping Uh, so that's kind of the you talk about the chess match and the strategy going back and forth that's going to be very interesting uh to watch this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news Take A Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. That's Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman, host of The Hoffman Show. Three to six on the team, 980. Uh, Together, we host Countdown to Kickoff on Sunday mornings before the games. 10 a.m. is when we get started. Of course, Logan also played 10 years in the NFL, six in Washington, uh, one in Atlanta. One in Atlanta. Logan Paulson Bowl, Mm -hmm. part four on the year, I believe. (laughs) Yeah, there's been Uh, a
1: lot of crossovers (laughs) this year.
0: Uh, and, and as always, I put those things in reverse order of importance. Uh, all right. When you look at the Washington offense against this Atlanta defense, there's not a lot going on on this Atlanta defense. They've given no. up a lot of points in the last five games as well. Uh, how would you be attacking them if you were Scott Turner?
1: So I think there's a couple things you got to be aware of. And I think Pease, which is the defensive coordinator's name, he does a really, I don't say good job, but his philosophy has shifted from when he was in Tennessee prior to this. Tennessee. Prior to this, it was like bombs over Baghdad. Every single play here, they seem to be adopting more of like a cover three, cover four, Tampa two um, uh, kind of philosophy. You know what I mean? And um, and I think that that is something um, that that kind of is a uh, he's inviting you to throw the ball underneath, and he's and he's kind of demanding that you be patient with the football, and when. When they do get into, you know, third down situations, they play a lot of man coverage and it's a little bit different type of man coverage. They play man coverage that allows them to double in certain areas and let the safeties kind of roam free, which is a little bit unusual. And they're not bringing a lot of pressure with it. So if I am Scott, like I'm basically saying, like, Taylor, like we can play a boring football game this week. Right. We can be as boring as we want because we're going to have to check the football down and really bide our time to find these shot plays down the field, excuse me. So, you know, you you mentioned the defense is not overly vaunted and I don't disagree with you, but there are a couple guys to be aware of. Uh, Grady Jarrett is one of the best, probably top five interior defensive linemen in the NFL. Very disruptive on first, and second down. I think he's like close to leading the league in tackles for loss or some crazy statistic like that. And um, is obviously very disruptive. So understanding where he's at, Arnold Ebiketie is their rookie from Penn State who they drafted in the second round who's been able as of late to start generating a lot of pressures and then obviously AJ Terrell is one of the best young corners in the NFL so I think they're they're kind of finding their identity they're obviously a little bit understaffed on defense they do have pieces more pieces than like Houston for example and I think it's important to understand their philosophy they are okay they're okay with giving up a little bit of yardage and um and kind of saying, uh, you know, our defense is going to shorten, the, or our offense is going to shorten this game. We just, you know, I can We need to keep you from scoring lots of points very quickly, and that's kind of what they're doing. So basically, they're almost inviting, they're inviting quarterbacks, but they're specifically inviting Heineke this week to to go Heineke mode and kind of get get <laughs> bored get bored taking a profit, so to speak, and yeah. try to force the ball. You know what I mean? Try to force the ball where you shouldn't be forcing it.
0: Yeah, so Jarrett is fourth in the NFL in sacks by defensive tackle. Javon Hardgrave for Philly has seven. Payne's got six and a half. Allen's got six and a half. And then Jarrett. Has five and a half. He's also third in tackles for loss at ten, behind Allen and Payne, as previously mentioned. So he is right up there, basically right behind those guys with Aaron Donald with Hargrave yeah. uh, as as the best performing defensive tackle in the league this year. You know, Derek Brown's up there in, in certain categories, uh, you know, as well. But he is he is disruptive, uh, certainly. You know, Washington obviously has been on this very run heavy kick as of late. Yeah. Um, when you look past Terrell, there's not a lot in the secondary and the pass rushers aren't amazing. So would you take yeah. a few more chances in the pass game this week? What opportunities present itself there, especially now that, you know, all three guys are healthy. Like you can only put Terrell on one of yeah. uh, Samuel McLaren Dotson. So what opportunities present there and how, how tempting is it to lean a little bit heavier on the pass game this week?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, as much as it would seem from a personnel standpoint, you'd want to do that, I would be reluctant Don't do to it. do that. not do it. It's a trick. I, I, yeah, my, a trick. my
0: question was a setup. It's a trick.
1: Yes. It's a trick, right? And, um, you know, they do have some good pass rushers. Lorenzo Carter is also very dynamic. They kind of play this 3-4 structure. So they do have some some juice up front. You know, their nickel cornerback, uh, Isaiah Oliver, is a very good football player, former second-round picker guy that I played with when I was there. So they do have some pieces, obviously, but nothing super dynamic. But, yeah, B... Okay, doing boring stuff. Be okay, punning the football. They are expecting you to get bogged down, to get bored, to throw the football to them, right? And I will say Pease also does a really nice job of throwing in little tiny wrinkles. Like they run a lot of Tampa 2 in sub-personnel. So that's like when when the offense has 11 on the field, right? They run a lot of Tampa 2. And all of a sudden, he'll throw in this Tampa 2 invert. And the guys playing the halves are different players. You know, the guys playing the flats are different players. And it really confuses quarterbacks, and they put the ball in harm's way. When that happens, it's okay. Take a sack. Don't turn the football over. This team is going to beat you off of you making a mistake on offense and making a mistake on special teams. Like that's how they beat you, right? Because you know offensively they're not going to put up a ton of points. They're going to beat you up offensively. They're going to try and possess the football. They're going to go on long drives. But if they can't do that, which I would hypothesize that they can't, right, there is no need for you to stress to stress and put the ball in, in risky situations, right? So it's okay to punt. It's okay to be conservative. It's okay to check the ball down. I would really harp on that as much as I possibly could. to If I'm Scott this week, it's okay to do that.
0: Yeah. The other thing too is remember how good your game plan was last week, how dynamic yeah. it was, uh, how well you mixed up run pass, how much you used motion, How how many different guys got the football. Run that one back. Yeah. That's going to work back. every week to an extent, right? And, and it got you 20 points by halftime. Obviously, part of that was a pick six. Um, but it, it it gets you where you need to go. Not only early do you score some points in the first half, but it sets you up if you want to continue that into the second half to take some shots, to do some things. You didn't have to last week. You just went back to a very simple run game because the game was not in doubt. But getting all those guys involved is going to be the path forward to being successful offensively and it doesn't necessarily mean you come out and you start off with three straight runs and you just run 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 inside zone outside zone whatever like you run, you pass it someone first and second down you yeah. put it in their head that hey we will take advantage of that stuff that you're giving us yeah but still by the end of the game by by the time the, that everything plays out you're still 60 plus percent run like, yeah. that, that is the formula to me that, that should be the answer every single week. And this week, it's just a little bit more exposed in terms of what you can do in the passing game because of personnel and, and kind of what they do for Atlanta.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that makes me a little bit nervous about this game plan is I don't know what Taylor Henneke's splits are at the moment. But I, like last week, his splits versus zone versus man, were pretty dynamically different. He wasn't very good versus zone. Last Mm -hmm. week against Houston, you saw a lot of man-to-man coverage or more than you would see kind of on average. And this week on third down, a lot of man, but on first, second down, more zone, right? So just being aware of, if you're Scott, of speaking to his strengths, understanding the types of zones they run. It's not like they're running these crazy match zones. It's like spot drop zones. There's going to be space, but taking what they give you. I think, like, when you said that, that is the perfect articulation of what they need to do. Take what they give you. Don't press the football. You know what I'm saying? Don't try yeah. to force the big play. It's okay if you're on third and two and you're, you know, it's a third and eight, the receiver gets seven. That's okay. It's okay. Because if you throw a pick there trying to force it to the dig behind, like, that's bad ball, right? So that would be my one uh, my one or two thoughts on that. And I think it's it's not overly complex. <clears throat> in a weird way, this team is very... They're, very, they're built in a very similar way to the commanders. I think the commanders' defense is significantly better, but they, they need to insulate quarterbacks. They're asking their defense to win football games for them. They're really relying heavily on the run game. And so, to me, if, if you can just be a little bit more efficient offensively than they are, which this offense should be able to because they can actually throw the football, right, you should be okay. And that's, that's where I think we're at is just don't screw it up
0: yeah so last thing you mentioned it briefly but i wanted I wanted to stop down on special teams this week because atlanta 's return games both kickoff and and punt are the best in the nfl yeah uh atlanta is averaging actually sorry their punt definitely is their kickoff return is second best in the nfl uh, behind baltimore they 're averaging twenty seven point six yards per kickoff return baltimore up at twenty nine uh, they do have a hundred and three yard touchdown return in that uh that space on the year as well and then punt return average they are averaging seventeen point four yards per punt return. Dang. That's that is a monster number. Uh by Here's comparison, Washington is averaging seven point eight. Uh their punt returner is uh Avery Williams. Avery Williams man who is Avery. a good for backup you. corner.
2: Avery yeah, excellent uh, job. Five,
0: nine, 195, uh, fifth round pick in twenty one out of Boise State. So he is averaging 17.4 yards per punt return. Tressway's obviously had another fantastic year. By the way, by the way, if you are someone who enjoys high-quality YouTube content, Tressway miked up from the Philly game. 13 <laughs> minutes of gold. Buddy, when he took that hit uh, after yeah. the first drive, the, the number of gollies you get. <laughs> high quality. Normally, we promote the Commander's YouTube channel just out of a out of being nice so that people can get more of your analysis, but <laughs> h- hop on over. Th- You're welcome, Commanders. Don't say I never did anything nice for you. <laughs> Tressway mic'd up. High, high quality entertainment. Anyway, he's also a high quality punter, but his ability to uh, force fair catches is going to be very important this week, and obviously the coverage team has a, uh, an enormous role to play in that as well, but when you do punt Look out because that short field uh, that you're trying to avoid via the pick can come very quickly with a quality punt return with this unit.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And I'm really, I knew they were doing well on punt. I didn't know they were doing that well, which is exceptional. Um, I will say, obviously, that comes down to Percy Butler, Reeves, and Christian Holmes in terms of how they handle you know, being the gunners on punt and being your personal protector and getting down there and forcing those fair catches. Those guys have done an excellent job of that. So that'll be a really interesting matchup to keep an eye on. Those guys on the edges of that punt team getting down and and then covering those kicks. Um, The kickoff return thing I'm not as worried about because I think that number is drastically inflated by that kickoff return from last week. Um, And and from what I understand and what what Cordell Patterson has said is that once he had the record, he would no longer be returning kickoffs. So... That might just be a little bit of cheek, like cheeky wink, wink, not, not type <laughs> of thing. But well, I,
0: Avery Williams is is the other guy, and he's right. the punt returner guy that we just talked about. So it ain't like the backups bad.
1: Right, but I'm saying obviously Cordell Patterson yeah. might be the best kickoff return guy in NFL history. So I right. would prefer, no offense to Avery Williams, while he's an outstanding <laughs> punt <prime laughs> returner. I don't right. care if he's returning kicks the same way. So, um, so yeah, obviously, I think that would be hugely uh, beneficial for this team. But I wouldn't be surprised, you know, as much as he says he's not going to return kicks, like, he's one yeah. of the best in the NFL for a reason, right? And if you need him to return kicks, I'm sure Arthur Smith is like, pop back there for one. And he's a guy that I was talking to Tress Way about this the other day, actually, Who stands at the end line? I didn't notice this, but Tress pointed out because Tress is a brilliant dude. Stands at the end line and is always running forward. So no matter where the ball is, he's catching it at a full speed sprint. And I said, Tress doesn't seem like good process. He's like it's terrible process, but he wants to score touchdowns. So he's he's back there to score a touchdown. He's not that back there to pad his average or pad his uh, his his percentage or whatever. He's back there to return it for a touchdown. So. I think understanding the type of personality you're dealing with back there is really significant, and I think, um, you know, he's a very special player. Like I said, maybe the best kick returner in NFL history when you look at how few returns he's had to how many touchdowns he's got. A fearless returner, and that's one of the things that makes him an excellent running back. I wouldn't expect to see him back there, but, you know, you never know. If it's a tight game, you need to play. Like, you've got that ace in the hole. Throw that out there, and obviously Avery – Seventeen yards. That is a monster number. That is a yeah. monstrous number. Like, what's the second team? Do you have that up the hill? Or
0: uh, yes, I do. The second team is the Ravens at thirteen point two.
1: That is so. Both those numbers are really high because a good kick, a good punt return teams like between nine and eleven. Like that. Like you're really good if you do that. And for both those teams to be exponentially higher than that is pretty spectacular. And for them to be four yards higher than the. Um, uh, Than the Ravens, yeah, is is crazy. So that is definitely something I'm really glad you, because again, you know, when you're watching a film, when you're watching the Cubs, you're like, yeah, they're pretty good at this. But to get that number associated with that, holy cow! So they need to be dialed in on that for sure, and that could be something that tips the tide of the game. Absolutely.
0: We'll have London Fletcher on the other side of the break, given his breakdown of the game, plus talking about the recent call he got as a semifinalist to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. A semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame—that's pretty cool. That's a good podcast. Get that's a good guess. Oh, and it's a hell of an achievement for London Fletcher, of course, the analyst for the Commanders Radio Network as well. Fletch, congratulations and welcome back to the pod.
2: Uh, appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on. You know, definitely a a um, you, know, you know when you think about being a, a semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, something that you. When you start out playing the game, it's like man, you you don't you dream of those types of things, but for it to um, you know take place is still uh, very humbling.
1: That's so, uh, that's pretty cool though, man. Like like so, I was gonna ask you: Do you know like all the other guys on the list? Like, have you met them at some point in your career, or is it kind of like um, you know how do you feel about being on a list with all those guys? And then if you have a personal relationship with them, how is that also?
2: I know. You know, just offhand, I, I think I pretty much know all the guys. If I maybe, maybe there's a uh, one or two guys I may not know, but I uh, played against a lot of those guys. Um, you know, know Henry Ellert well. He used to um, coach in, in St. Louis. I know uh, Henry Ellert. Um, so, yes, you know, played against Zach and played against know Patrick Willis um, very well. So, you know, to, to compete against some of those guys, know some of those guys, it's a. Uh, Definitely a great list of uh players on, on the semifinalist list.
0: So we know that like there's all these famous video clips of David Baker, uh the president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, big six foot nine, four hundred pound David Baker, knocking <laughs> on guys' doors saying, Congratulations, welcome to the hall. If if they make it. How do you find out that you made the semifinal list? I'm guessing it's not a personal visit from David Baker.
2: No, it's not. It's I found <laughs> out the way everybody else found out. Um, actually I was taking my son to a um, to a workout, and I was in a car. I guess when the list initially came out, and somebody um, texted me and told me I made it. I didn't so I didn't find out right away. Um, you know, people it had already been released. I think uh, it was like one o'clock. They they let they released the list, and I found out maybe about I want to say about one, 108, 110, something like that. So I, I found out after uh, everybody else, I guess. <laughs> <So> the- <laughs>
0: And what's it, what's it mean to you to to get this Started. far in the process. Obviously you you've been in the, in this for a while um and and I, everyone on this podcast for sure and I think everyone in this area feels like you belong in the Hall of Fame. So uh, while while there's still uh and it's not work to do. The work was done. Your your resume is set. There're still steps to be taken to get where you belong. What's it feel like to get this far?
2: It feels great. You know, this is my I believe my fourth year on the ballot. The uh, the three prior years, as um you know I was uh, eligible to be being a pro football hall of fame, I didn't advance past the uh, the initial, hundred and some odd players that they um, initially put out, and I was I was extremely perplexed when I didn't, you know I was pissed off perplexed, uh like man when I when you look at the um the numbers that I did and, and the career that I had, and I wasn't. You know, saying I should have been a first ballot Hall of Fame, but I definitely should have damn been a first ballot semifinalist. So, <laughs> you know, when when uh, that didn't happen first time, then you know, a couple more times, and I'm just like, man, what, you know, what's really going on here? And then for for me to advance to this this next stage, it's um, you know, very appreciative of it. I, I know it's a you know another step and another part of the process. Now they'll they'll go from here. There's 28 guys on this list, and they'll trim that down to 15 guys and for the finals and then eventually get it down to five. So I'm um, not, not home yet, but definitely feels good to advance to this stage, um, you know, of the process.
1: And obviously, statistically, you're one of the most productive linebackers in NFL history. Is there a reason you think that, you know, <clears throat> that it took this long to get there? Is it, you know, because the market you played in or is it because, you know, like, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: You know, it's, it's probably a combination of things with the the middle linebacker position. I don't know how many current middle linebackers are in the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, when you think about the positions, you're going quarterbacks gonna have a high priority, um, wide receivers, running backs, d- defensive linemen that sack the quarterback, you know, uh, cornerbacks because they've intercept the ball. So those positions are gonna, Get I guess hold a higher regard in 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 some voters' minds, even though when you look at the middle linebacker position, all the things and the responsibilities that we are we have to do, I don't think that anybody has to do more on the on the defensive side of the ball than the middle linebacker. So, you know, that's part of it. The the market playing in, playing in St. Louis, I played great football, but it was all you know all the conversation was about the offense. Greatest show on turf. You go to I go to Buffalo, spent five years there. And you don't get we don't get a lot of recognition playing in Buffalo. And then once I got to the bigger market in, in in uh Washington and you're playing on a lot of national television games. Um, you know, it's the NFC East. That's when I was finally able to break through for the Pro Bowl. It's not like I came to DC and started playing better football. Hell, I was I was a great football player in St. Louis, great football player in Buffalo and uh didn't make a pro bowl there but you know market definitely makes a difference and and
1: sorry yeah and so i think that's the other thing that i'm a little confused on is who votes is this just media members that are voting or is there like former coaches or like because you know i always find it interesting like how there's like a national narrative around a player and then you go watch film of that play and you're like oh wow like this player is better or worse than the national media kind of thinks is that like who's voting on this and and if it's just are, media members, I think that's a mistake.
2: There are 50 Pro Football Hall of Fame voters. Mm-hmm. There is one voter. I know at least one voter for each NFL team. Okay. And then there's some at-large voters. I, I don't know if uh, there's some at-large voters uh, that cover you know national cover the NFL nationally. There are some former, a couple former players on the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I oh, know nice. James Lawson is one. And, um, I don't know if it's Dan Fouts, maybe it's another guy. I think Tony Dungy may be a voter now, um, former, some other hall of fame, uh, coaches, executive, maybe. I think Bill Polian is a part of it too. So they're not just all media members. These are, these are 50, um, voters, mostly, um, you know, team guys who covered that team in that particular area. And, um, you know, a couple former, um, whether it's players or executives, and yeah. you know guys who cover the NFL at large, like a Peter King, who does—he's not covering one specific team, but he covers the NFL as a whole. Yeah, and they, and, they have a, and they have a difficult, difficult job when you think about it, trying to bring it down to just five modern-era players. Um, that's that's not an easy thing to do when you right. look at you look at the list this year. There's there's more than five deserving. Deserving guys to that should go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but you know they had to, you know, figure that out and, and come up with five guys.
0: Yeah, for years. Um, well, so and, and once you get to the finalist process, London, as, as you know, um, there is like a presentation of each player. Yes, right. All all the finalists have someone representative of their team who presents them.
2: Now, the Jared Bell, who writes for USA Today, yeah. he represents. The Washington market. But yeah.
0: what I was going to ask you, I actually didn't know Jarrett was the, the new guy. That's great. Jarrett's yeah. obviously a, a yeah. phenomenal writer who's covered the league for a long well, time.
2: well respected. Yes. Yeah,
0: for sure. If you were going to pick a former teammate to present you, if that was like a thing that you could do to present your case, someone who you feel like could tell the stories of London Fletcher and make the case for you in the Hall of Fame, who would you pick?
2: See, I'd pick Fred Smoot. Because <laughs> 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 Fred <laughs> water to a well. I yeah. an Eskimo. That's <laughs> a great call. He's, he's gonna he's gonna hype it up and uh you know, <laughs> no nah, I mean it's uh I I've never I've never thought about that. Never been asked that question. Um, you know it's it's so many. I guess if I was to do it, I had to pick a guy. I would I would pick one of my teammates that's currently in the Hall of Fame. Former teammates, so you know maybe Aeneas Williams who's Extremely well regarded. Got Marshall Falk. Maybe Marshall because Marshall was a running back who played against me and also played with me. So maybe I'd have Marshall, Marshall Falk present my case.
0: That's great stuff, man. Uh, Marshall would be incredible. Obviously we've gotten to see how smart Marshall is over the years on NFL network and the work that he's done. That would be, I would want to sit in the room for that case. I'll put it, I'll put it that way. Um, Let's, let's take that hall of fame knowledge though. and, And put it, put your analyst hat on, uh, put your headset on, if you will, for the weekend, when you look at this Atlanta Falcons team in a lot of ways, it feels like they mirror, uh, they mirror Washington. They're a very run heavy team or this current version of Washington. They're a very run heavy team. Uh, they, they've got a mobile quarterback. Uh, they use Mariota as a runner in a different way than Washington does with Taylor. But you know, if you're scouting this Atlanta offense, like where do you start to, to circle? That's a threat. That's a threat. Uh, and, and what they bring, which is, you know, pretty unique in the NFL. Although I return to running the football, it's kind of been a thing this year. So maybe not as unique as it once was.
2: No, they they definitely have um, their run first football team. I know Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Falcons, very well. Used to used to work in D.C. He was a defensive quality control. When I was uh, when he was in Washington um, on the coaching staff, and you know uh, to see him sent to a head coach and you know as an offensive coordinator, man, he, Arthur's one of the great great guys in football. He comes from the uh, Matt Lafleur kind of offensive coaching. Tree, Matt was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee prior to to um, Arthur ascending to the uh, right. offensive coordinator position. So they run that that um, Kyle Shanahan zone, you know, wide zone um, rushing attack. But then they've had the element also of the the RPO or the zone read uh, part of it too. So it puts a lot of a lot of stress on you defensively because you have the wide zone that you have to deal with. And then you have the zone read element of it with with Mariota as a uh, as a runner, and then they also have the uh, the RPO aspect of it too. So it puts a lot of pressure on you defensively to to stop those elements of of the Falcons' offense. They they know who they are. That's the strength of their football team, and and they and they do um, they run the football as one of the best teams in, in, in the National Football League.
0: Yeah, what, for like a linebacker, say, I don't know, Jamin Davis this weekend, what kind of stress is that put on him specifically as the player that they will often, you know, in some of this RPO stuff, that's actually who they're reading. So he's he's kind of the guy in the bind. What kind of stress does that put on him, a player who's still young but um, has obviously grown a tremendous amount over the last eight weeks or so?
2: Well, the, the great thing about, you know, Washington and, def- and their defense and Jamin – and you know just the defense in general, they they've played Philadelphia you know twice this year, so they've seen a lot of this this um, zone read type of offense with Jalen Hurst and the Eagles offense, and so they and they've done a really good job defending it. So they know how to defend it. They have a really good scheme and dealing with that. It's really about you know your discipline, your gaps, knowing uh, knowing what you're supposed to do. The uh, defensive front. Makes a big difference, you know, when you especially you talk about Deron Payne and and, Jer, uh, and uh, Jonathan Allen, but also the defensive ends and, and you know who has the who has the running back on the on the zone read and who who's responsible for the quarterback. So just understanding each guy's responsibility within that particular call and playing playing it out, um, just doing doing that part of it and and kind of rallying to the football. That's what they've done a great job, and that's what. That's really the task of, the, of Washington's defense.
0: Uh, anything else stand out for them from an offensive side? Because you know, especially considering they're down Kyle Pitts now, like is there anybody else that scares you? I remember talking to Kevin O'Connell about this when he was here and he was the OC and he was lamenting. Uh, it was kind of an off-the-record conversation then, but it's you know the, the statute of limitations is up where he was like, look, man, when Jordan's out, talking about Jordan Reed, if I'm a defensive coordinator and I'm putting numbers up on the board, I don't know who they're writing at this point. Like we used to, we used right. to have 86 and it would scare the daylights out of them. And 80 was Jamison Crowder and like Jamison's hurt. Jordan's hurt. We don't have Deshaun yeah. and Pierre anymore. I don't know who who's scaring defenses, right. uh, which is part of the reason why we're we're struggling. For them, they've got some weapons, um, but if you're in that defensive meeting without Kyle Pitts, no eight to write up on the board as he's now on IR. Who are you writing up on the board, and who else scares you that that they would need to focus in on uh, from a game plan standpoint?
2: Well, I think you know, first guy they probably put up there is a uh, is number eighty four, and, and that's uh, a yeah, Patterson. Patterson. Yeah. yeah, yeah, trying to trying to figure out him out. He had a big game against Washington, you know, against us last year with three receiving touchdowns. They're, they're not throwing the football to him as much as they did a year ago. And I don't know, is that more of a product, byproduct of them, you know, adding Drake London to that receiving core and feeling like they they have a little bit better weapons at, at the receiver position. Um, you mentioned Kyle Pitts being a hurt. So maybe maybe they started to expand his role a little bit more in the receiving uh, aspect, but – him as a runner, he's definitely a threat. And in Drake London, I, I would say the, those are the two guys first and foremost that you would have to um, have to say, hey, we have to get these two guys under control in, to, in order to stop uh, the Falcons' offense.
0: Obviously, if Payne and Allen can keep getting the penetration they have, all that stuff becomes irrelevant. Uh, So hopefully they can continue to do that. Uh, One and two in the NFL are those two guys in tackles for loss by defensive tackles, 14 and 11 for Allen and Payne, respectively. Um, On the other side of the ball, obviously the the huge conversation around the team right now is is Taylor Heineke winning the starting job, uh, at least for now. This week there was no decision to make because Carson's not ready yet. But you know, as you watch Taylor and, and try to figure out the mystery of like why he wins, Logan and I have certainly given plenty of, uh, you know, taken plenty of space to to break it down. Some of the reasons why we don't think it's quite as much of a mystery as some other folks might who are watching nationally and and are aren't as as in the weeds as we are. But I, I'm not going to say any of our reasons. I'm curious for you from your vantage point, uh, your Hall of Fame level career that you had as someone who would look at this from that perspective, like. What do you see in Heineke that he is able to do that helps this team win football games to the tune of 4-1 with him as the starter this year?
2: Well, you look at you know a couple of different things, first and foremost, the way the op- op- offense is operating, they're a lot more run-heavy offense than they were when when Carson was a the quarterback. They're, they're running the football, well, I think, about 66% of the time now as opposed to when Carson was a the quarterback. They were throwing it like 66% yeah. of the time. Offensive line has played a lot better is playing a lot better, you know, especially from the run blocking aspect. You you look at um not car uh Taylor doesn't take as many sacks. So, you know, obviously you run the football, not taking as many sacks. He just has this also this brings this energy and this uh, ability to extend plays, play off schedule, make plays. You go back to the the, the game against the Indianapolis Colts, and that drive. You know he's he's making so many plays off schedule to extend drives, fourth down plays, and also the play that he hit Terry um, with the, that eventually was the game winner. You know, so he has those abilities that and 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 they, the team feeds off that energy and and uh, you know it's just it's just a great thing to happen and watch. Um, you know, over the last uh, five ball games.
0: Yeah, his ability to avoid those negative plays. Also, he throws the ball to Terry a lot, and Terry's so good. He's so good at football. Like, he, let's just give yeah. let's give him the ball so much.
2: Yes, yes. You know, he, <laughs> he You know, Terry Terry's a, a dynamic receiver. Tough to tough to, you know, cover one on one. Got give him an opportunity, especially on a lot of the 50-50 balls down the field. Terry's going to come up with a lot of those balls more often than not. Um, great chemistry. I think the offensive. I think Scott Turner's also done a great job of moving Terry around a a lot more now, too, as opposed to, you know, early in the years, a lot more of him being playing on the outside. Now you'll see him, you know, line up inside. They're motioning him a little bit more. They'll bring him into the backfield. There's been a conscious effort to get him the football more because good things happen when you get him the ball.
0: Yeah, for sure. This Falcons defense has given up a lot of points, especially recently. Uh, they, they gave up twenty four to Chicago, twenty five to Carolina, uh, twenty to LA, thirty four, or sorry, thirty yeah, thirty four to Carolina in their first matchup, and then thirty five uh, to Cincinnati. That, that's their last five games. Where do you think Washington can specifically attack them? Knowing also that Washington's game plan has been very run heavy with Taylor, and like, like we just talked about in these five games.
2: Well, you know, it's a, it's a situation where when you look at the Falcons, especially on defense, you're like, man, what do they do great? You don't see them doing anything particularly well or great. Um, I know uh, Grady uh, Grady Jarrett's a, a great football player for them. He's definitely a problem. I look at Rashawn Evans. They're uh, inside linebacker, very physical player. But beyond besides that, you know, there's – there's going to be opportunities to to run the ball against them. There'll be opportunities to make plays in the in the passing game against them. So it's really um, you know, just stick to a lot of what we've already done and in, in the past, and and do it at a higher level. Um, they're not great on third down, so you know it'd be good if we can be a lot better on third downs than we were this past ball game against the Houston Texans. So I mean, this is an opportunity if we execute at a high level. We should be able to put up some points on this on this Falcons defense.
0: Yeah, and ultimately, is that what you're what you're predicting? Uh, commanders win, where they they actually get some. Uh... Get some solid offensive production in the points category because last week, like last week, they were up twenty to nothing at halftime, and they obviously could have scored more. They mega took their foot off the gas. Uh, so you know, in a game where against a better opponent, uh, where they might have to play all four quarters and, and kind of implement the 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 full shebang strategy wise, uh, what do you think actually happens this weekend?
2: Well, you're gonna have to. Um, you know, I'm predicting a win. Obviously, um, you know, we go out. Again, execute at a high level. There will be opportunities to make big plays, not only in the running game but also in the passing game. I think maybe more opportunities in the passing game than than say against uh, Houston, based on what Houston did defensively. There'll be opportunities to make more plays in the passing game against the Falcons' defense, and you know, um, but I still want to lean more on the on the on the run game. You know, maybe we're running it. 60% of the time as opposed to, um, you know, 70% of the time or whatever yeah. it may be. But still link, rely on the run game. But, you know, there will be some plays to be made in the passing game, especially some some uh, chunk plays.
0: Looking forward to uh, the game on Sunday. Uh, good luck uh, with everything Hall of Fame related. Have a great call uh, with Julian Bram. And uh, we'll, we'll see you again here soon on the pod, London. Thank you.
2: I right, appreciate it.